Where is God in the midst of the trials and suffering we face in life? Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble, and the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is filled not only with testimony to this fact, but with a theology of suffering that we must know, embrace, and pass on as an inheritance to our kids. If you're like me, you often wonder how God works in the lives of those who face unimaginable suffering. When all seems hopeless, is there any hope? Today, I chat with some young youth worker friends who have been and are in the midst of the unimaginable. Stick with us for a compelling conversation about real-life suffering, real-life hope, and a challenge to teach this to our kids on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, I'm Walt Mueller here at CPYU in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, and on this episode of Youth Culture Matters, I get to chat uh, with a couple that I've known for years. Lisa and I have known them, and they have an amazing story. Just to back up a little bit, you know, I was thinking back over the years of three-plus decades of doing youth ministry training and thinking about all the literally thousands of youth workers I've met and had the opportunity to be with over the years, and there were there are certain people who you just remember them and you click with them, and when you're with them at different events over the years, you sit with them and you chat with them, and we get to have that chat today with one of these couples, Dan and Kristen Sturk, who are joining us. You guys are in Michigan? Where exactly? West Michigan, Holland, New Zealand area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Holland, which is known for uh, uh, tulips and tulips. heated sidewalks. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm impressed that you know that. He, yes. Well, I've been there, and I've been there in winter, so I've been able to indulge in the blessing of the heated sidewalks. I've been there a few times. So, um, and, and that's really where we met for the first time was in that area, right? So uh, why don't you guys tell us just a little bit about you know who you are, where you are, what you're doing in youth ministry, and then we'll uh, jump into some of the early conversations that we had together as couples uh, you guys, and then me and Lisa, and, and I want he- folks to hear your story because this is not just a, um, if you're listening, this is not just like a memoir. Th- this is a story that really matters for us because we're going to talk today uh, with them about, you know, what it means to suffer and suffer well, and how we can teach our students a theology of suffering, our parents, other youth workers, a theology of suffering, because you guys have lived it. So, uh, before we get into the specifics of that, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, yeah, we're Dan and Kristen Sturk. We've been married seventeen years. I had to. You hesitated. That's a problem, quick. Dan. I, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, you know, after the first couple of years, it all just kind of melts into one. But yeah, you know, we met in college and um, started dating. Then I was going into youth ministry, and Kristen was going into social work, and started talking about getting married, but I didn't know if she would want to be married to a youth pastor because, you know, churches always look for that two for one deal. And so she said, no, no, that was on my list of things I was looking for in a future husband. I wanted to be a youth pastor's wife. So we got married and we've done ministry together 
uh, pretty much since day one. And we've uh, bounced around a little bit. We were in Southwest Michigan, then we moved out to Minnesota for four and a half years. And then out of the blue, my college roommate called and asked if we would be willing to come to his church and uh, do youth ministry there. And so that was something that I'd always wanted to do. So we came back to uh, the West Michigan area and we'd had our daughter out in Minnesota, but we wanted her to be by family. So uh, both of our families are in this general area. So yeah, we moved back and we've been at our church now, uh, North Street CRC for five and a half years now. Okay. So, you hesitated again. I'm not going to ask you any more dates. That, dates that, are not yeah, his yeah, that's, forte, that's, Walt. Now, now just, to, just to clarify, so uh, the church you said, CRC, that's a Christian Reformed church, that is uh, which yeah. is rooted in the Dutch tradition and great theological tradition, some good thinking and ministry practice coming out of that. Um, yeah. yeah, so folks who are not familiar with that, that's the, that's the CRC. Um, yeah, so, so let's rewind and we were talking before we started to record about when we first met. Yes. What, what, yeah. So you actually remembered better than I did. I remember some of the later meetings. Well, I I got stage fright when I met you. So, um, we were actually at a a local church seminar, like a one day meeting. And uh, I think we had a, a break for lunch and I had to go to the bathroom. So I was standing there at, at one of the urinals, and all of a sudden, you walked in and started. Okay. Stood next yeah, to yeah, me yeah. I just stood I got there. stage fright, and I couldn't yeah. finish, so yeah. I had to just walk out. And then you ended up sitting down and eating lunch with uh, Kristen and I and the rest of our volunteer youth group leaders, and got to chatting. And then we went to a another a weekend long conference and uh, ran into you and Lisa again. And I forgot what the actual seminar that one was about, but we got to talking to to Lisa and. One thing led to another, and we just kept talking. And then a year later, Lisa called us out of the blue and said, "Hey, if you guys are going to the youth ministry conference, we'd we'd love to have breakfast with you." And uh, the rest was history from there. Yeah. So you connected with Lisa, which is great when that happens. Uh, she's so good at reaching out to people like that. And and the beginning of that story, well, it does divulge a lot of information. Um, Actually, you know, some of the best, yeah, some of the best conversations really are when, when we meet in places like that, you know, and we're washing our hands at the sink or whatever, and just greeting each other and then being able to eat with you guys. So I do remember going out there. Um, it was actually like in, was it in the Zealand area with Dwayne Smith? Was that Eagle Crest, it, I think Eagle it was. Crest yeah. Ministries, which he yes. was running at the time and he was doing a lot of youth ministry training and he would have me come out there. It was usually when it was very cold. Which it is, was. It was winter. Yeah, it was like eleven months out of the year. It's like that. So <laughs> I understand why you went to Minnesota and you didn't even flinch. So, um, let, well, let's let's jump into a little bit of your story because when we first met you, um, you know, part of the part of part of what drew us into you was hearing some of what was happening in Kristen's life at the time. So let's jump over to her and talk a bit about since our topic suffering, talk a little bit about how that all began for you and walk us through the history of that. Yeah. So my story really encompasses quite a medical journey. I was born with a heart defect, um, but didn't know about it until I was 17. And while I was at a basketball sports physical, 
Uh, I ended up needing an open heart surgery to correct the problem, but that all went well. Um, but unfortunately, over the next few years, um, they noticed that my mitral valve, which is one of the valves in the heart, um, started to leak more and more. And so through these routine heart appointments, we kind of learned that it would be a little risky to have um, a child at the time. Um, but in 2014, I was at a routine, one of those routine heart appointments, and the doctor said, hey, Christine, your heart is actually looking really good. And Dan and I kind of looked at each other, Dan kind of leaned forward and asked, well, what does that mean for pregnancy? And our doctor kind of looked at us like, why would you even ask that question? Um, she said, well, I see no problem with it. And according to the nurse, we about fell out of our chairs because we were so shocked that um, God had miraculously healed my heart to the point where we could have a child. So a month later, I became pregnant. And in 2015, uh, I gave birth to our daughter, Maisie Grace. And yeah, she's named after the song Amazing Grace, uh, because it was only by God's grace that we had her. So unfortunately, after I had her, I went through pretty severe heart failure um, and never really fully recovered from that. So when we moved back to Michigan, I ended up getting referred uh, to a doctor at the University of Michigan, and they discovered that that mitral valve that was leaking really needed to be repaired. And so I went in for my second open heart surgery and it all went well. In fact, so well that the doctor said that I could run marathons and have more kids if I wanted to, but I can't say that that was really what I wanted in life at that time. Um, but really it was just good to hear that I had that type of a prognosis. Um, about a week after being home, I got really sick and we didn't know if I just had a bug or what was going on, but I went to the emergency room and a few hours later, I found myself being flown via helicopter back to the University of Michigan. And that's where they discovered that the repair that was done on my heart blew. And so I ended up getting quite sick, was in the ICU for a week, um, wasn't even healthy enough to have another open heart surgery at that time. So, and my organs started to fail as well. So it ended up kind of becoming a little bit of a life and death situation, but thankfully God healed me enough um, to the point where I could have that third open heart surgery. And it was the second in 16 days. And you think you can do it, but at the same time, it was, it was very intense. Yeah. Dan, what was uh, for you? Okay. And you've got a little one. Um, yeah, she was but yeah. Just, yeah. Two. so just talk, mm -hmm. and you're doing youth ministry. I mean, just talk through what that was like for you as a husband. To me, it's unimaginable. I can't get my hands or my head around what that must have been like. I mean, three open heart surgeries. And how old were you when you had the third? Um, oh goodness, that was in 2017. Don't ask, don't don't ask, don't ask Dan. Dan. Don't ask Dan. <laughs> I think I was 30. Four, okay. Thirty-three, thirty-three, yeah. or thirty-four. Yeah. So, I mean, people need to understand that—that that we're yeah. talking about a yeah. young person here who, yeah. you know, seventeen all the way up to thirty-four or however old you were with the third one. And so, you—you you were through a lot at that point. Let me, let me, let me go to Dan and just, you know, your perspective is how you were walking through this and handling this, and what was most helpful to you, um, you know, just in terms of support. I'm, I'm thinking about not only what you leaned into 
you know, scripturally and biblically, but also in terms of your, you know, your folks who were with you, your church, your church family. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was Halloween that Mm -hmm. she went back into the ER and we had made, my mom had made a Halloween costume for our daughter. And so she was all excited to go trick or treating. Um, but when she went back into the ER after that, I guess, second heart surgery, um, we're sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. And they said they were going to call in Aeromed and load her on the plane. And um, we're getting ready to, or load her on the helicopter. And we're getting ready to load her in. And Kristen looked down at me or and said, make sure you take Maisie trick-or-treating still. It's like, oh my goodness, we're loading you on a helicopter and you're worrying about her trick-or-treating. So loaded her on the helicopter that took off. I quick ran home, grabbed her daughter, went trick-or-treating, uh, dropped her off at my in-laws. And then I flew as fast as I could down down the highway to get over to Ann Arbor where they're going to take her to back to the University of Michigan and uh, talk to our pastor on the way. And he said, Dan, you just, uh, you stay there and take care of your family. Uh, we can't expect you to take care of our church family if you can't take care of your own family. Uh, so I, I stayed there the whole time. I think that round you were in the hospital for two weeks. Yeah. What, what year was that again? What? 2017. Okay, 2017. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, about yeah. five and a half years ago. Yeah. I, I had just been at our church for maybe four or five months, just started and, and then vanished for a little bit. Um, but yeah, our, our parents, uh, both of our parents took turns watching our daughter, Maisie, and she kind of bounced around and, um, and then we came back home. But that was really a struggle for her. And we didn't realize that until years later, just this separation anxiety and this this fear that she's going to be left behind again. Um, so yeah, that's that's a battle we've, we've struggled with her. But I, I think something that we clung to a lot all of that was second uh, Corinthians um, 12 9 through 10 um, where it, it says when I'm weak is when God is strong uh, and that's when when Paul was pleading to God three different times to remove this thorn from his side and and God's reply was you know what my grace is sufficient and uh, never took that thorn out and so we didn't know if God was going to heal Kristen's heart or what was going to happen, but we knew that his grace was sufficient. And, uh, there was, there was one night where all of Kristen's organs were, were shutting down and they weren't able to do another surgery yet. Cause she still wasn't stable, but the doctors called or told her to call me and have me get back to the, the hospital room quick. So I quick got dressed and ran over to the, her room and they said, we're going to potentially have to open up her chest cavity and insert a bypass pump because her heart's not functioning well enough. Uh, we're going to put her on this medication. And if that doesn't work, uh, then we're going to have to go through with this procedure. And um, Kristen said, well, if they open me up and then they would leave her sedated until they could, she was stable enough to do this surgery. She said, if they do that, you just go home. Don't sit here and watch me sedated. Uh, so we started praying that this medication would work. And um, we called some friends, um, had them start praying. This is probably about midnight. And mm-hmm. they started praying. Um, after about the first hour, numbers weren't getting better. And so we we're starting to wait for this doctor to come in and say, yep, we're going to go through with this procedure. And 
open up her chest cavity and insert this bypass pump. Well, another hour went by, I think a, another half hour went by and finally the doctor came in and said, nope, we're, uh, we're comfortable with where things are at. Um, and that was just a time where, you know, you got to a point where there was nothing we could do about it. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't make it better. All we could do was just sit there and pray. And I don't like getting to that point. I like to be able to fix things myself, but when there's not a thing you can do about it, um, we, we came to a complete peace about it, knowing that it's not up to us to fix it. We just lean on God and where he leads, we will follow. And so, yeah, I think it was probably, that was on the Thursday night. Uh, it was that following Monday, you ended up doing uh, your third open heart surgery. And too, when we were praying and praying, um, sometimes I wish I could go back to that faith that I had back then. Um, we found ourselves saying, if God would get greater glory through me not making it, well, then that's what we wanted. Now, want is very, I say that loosely because mm -hmm. humanly speaking, that is not what we wanted. Of course, we wanted me to make it. But at the same time, we were so filled with God's love for us at that moment that we just wanted to give him glory with no matter what he was going to bring us through. And yeah, and that's the miraculous thing. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking about that, as Dan mentioned, you know, uh, God's promised measure of grace, mm -hmm. you know, so, so if we anticipate difficulty, you know, if we anticipate, we wonder how we can get through it. But in the midst of it, and you're living, breathing testimony to this, God does deliver on that promise. And, you know, as Chris and I sit here and listen to this, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, you've experienced it. And, and I know that we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this because I know that this is part of what we need to teach our kids who have not yet suffered that, you know, we've, we've walked through this and you talk about, you know, the suffering of Christ. You talk about the testimony of the apostle Paul and others who, you know, even through history suffered, uh, because of their faith, um, suffered physically because of their faith, maybe different circumstances than yours and just how God was present in that. So it's, it's amazing as I sit here listening to this, we're gonna take a break and when we come back, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the story because it does not end there. So we'll be right back. Hey there, Youth Culture Matters listeners. We've been told that one of our best-kept secrets here at CPYU is our one-minute daily podcast, Youth Culture Today. Each and every weekday, we release a new episode that's timely, practical, and hope-filled, all for an audience of parents, youth workers, and anyone else who cares about kids. Here's a sample from one of our recent Youth Culture Today episodes. Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Everyone who has ever walked the face of the earth has been made by God for a relationship with God. Because our rebellion and sin has severed that relationship, there remains a deep yearning inside each human being to have that relationship restored. Whether our teenagers know what to call it or not, Blaise Pascal described this universal hole in the soul as a God-shaped vacuum. Alistair McGrath describes Pascal's model as a God-shaped emptiness within us, which only God can fill. We may try to fill it 
it in other ways and with other things. Yet one of the few certainties of life is that nothing in this world satisfies our longing for something that is ultimately beyond this world. While it may at times seem like it isn't so, your teenager is no different than anyone else. His great need is to have this God-shaped emptiness filled by God. Even when they don't recognize it as such, we can rest in the assurance that their hunger is for heaven and our calling is to point them to the cross. For more on youth culture, visit us on the web at cpyu.org. Youth workers, do your parents a favor and get them to subscribe to Youth Culture Today wherever they get their podcasts. Well, welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Youth Culture Matters. Again, I'm Walt Mueller here at CPYU, and we're having a, a chat that is really quite moving. I mean, Chris and I are sitting here pretty amazed at what we're hearing. I mean, I've, I've known this story for a while, but hearing it again from Dan and Kristen just about the journey the Lord has taken them on. Dan and Kristen are in youth ministry in Michigan, and there's been a lot of... Um, I don't. I, I don't know if I want to call them interruptions on your journey. Unexpected. Yeah, I call them interruptions. Uh, okay, interruptions. That's fair. Pit, pit interruptions. Stops. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, interruptions and pit stops that relate to most of them just physical issues that you guys have had to deal with with Kristen and her heart. And before the break, I said, you know, the story doesn't end there. You talked about three open heart surgeries by even before your mid thirties. Um, you know, wondering whether you would ever have children, then Maisie Grace, what, and that, just that right there, I mean, is, that's a great story about how you, how you named her. That's just such a beautiful thing. So um, you needed, let's go back to Kristen here and continue the story. Last fall, uh, something happened, and and I spotted this on Facebook as you reached out for, for prayer and just letting people know, because you've, You've actually blogged on your journey for a long time and wrote a book about this called A Heartbeat of Grace, which we'll connect to, which folks can get. We want to hear more about that a little bit later. But you had to go in for another checkup or some kind of procedure in September, and then different news pops up. So after those two open-heart surgeries, my heart never really fully recovered those back-to-back surgeries. And I ended up getting diagnosed with stage three heart failure and there's four stages. And so because of that, I have um, structural issues and also electrical issues in my heart. And so I was this past fall, I was admitted for my fourth ablation and ablation is basically where the doctors go into the heart and zap the areas of the heart that are misfiring. So I was put under for my fourth ablation. And I woke up to the doctor telling me that they couldn't complete the procedure. And I thought that was kind of odd. I had never had that happen before. And um, the reason was my blood counts were low. Again, didn't understand what he was trying to tell me at that time. So I was wheeled back up to the hospital room. And a few hours later, a hematologist came into our hospital room and started asking me lots of questions about my health. Um, if I had been feeling sick and at the time I'm like, no, I'm here for a heart procedure. And she then knelt down by my bed and said, Kristen, we believe that you have cancer. And we were just absolutely floored. Um, and then it wasn't maybe, but an hour or two later, um, an oncologist came in and said that I had leukemia and we just saw, we never saw that coming. And in fact, about a month prior Dan and I were sitting by our pool together talking about my upcoming heart procedure. 
And I said to Dan, wouldn't it be crazy if I ever got diagnosed with something other than heart failure, something like cancer? And I look back at that moment and I just think what God was probably thinking when I said that. So I never went home that evening. I got immediately wheeled up to the cancer floor at the University of Michigan, where I would spend three weeks receiving chemo treatments. And they all, they went well, um, but over the past four months, I've had to go in for week-long treatments um, back to U of M for the past four months. But I'm also thrilled to say that I am in remission as of right now, and the doctors are hopeful that they'll be able to keep me in remission. Mm. And, and by the way, for folks who are on Facebook, if you're still on there, uh, you, you post a lot of your story on there, which is really helpful because that's what keeps us abreast of how to pray for you. And that, man, when I saw that, I went home and I told Lisa, I said, you're not going to believe this. And uh, actually, there's, there's a little bit of a funny story in this, Dan. I'm not going to give the details of our texting exchange, <laughs> but uh, I had been communicating with you guys more so through Facebook, and I went. I was sitting on a couch one night when I saw some more of this and was just floored by this and was prompted to text you. So I called up your name and my contacts, and I'm sending these texts, and I, I, would, I, I think it, I sent them for probably – a multiplicity of days you were not answering. I was getting a little concerned about what might be going on. You know, Dan and Kristen, <laughs> hey, we're praying for you, this, that, and the other thing. And finally, I get this text back. And I'm not going to repeat what was in the text, but it was four wor- five words, and it was a profanity, started it, an extreme profanity, and then followed by the words you, Walt, and Lisa. And I sat there, I about fell out of my chair, and I thought, man, it's finally gotten to Dan. And he has just, and and then uh, that's when, like, I was stunned by it. And then I think I got to you through Facebook, and I said, Dan, I'm so sorry, is everything okay? And you said, that's not my phone number. And I realized somebody, you had changed your cell number from when I had put you in my contacts, and somebody was getting really irritated with me. And my constant, you know, reminders, you're asking what's going on and I'm praying for you. And so um, I actually did respond to that person and said, I'm sorry, I was texting a a friend who has a wife who has cancer right now. And um, it was not only an explanation, but it was a guilt. It was a guilt thing I was heaping on this person on the other end. I have no (laughs) idea who they are. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope your friend is okay. But it was just like <laughs> stunning to get this response that seems so out of character for you. Um, but but then, so in the midst of that, now again, you've got Maisie at, what, seven years old, and you talked a little bit earlier about even at two and a half, you know, when you were going through the, the surgeries, just the sense of, you know, is my mom going to come back? Where's my dad? You know, she's being watched by people who love her. But talk a little bit about that journey because what I saw and people again they got to go to Facebook and find you Kristen but the the pictures and Dan you put them up as well just the beauty of Maisie and and it just seemed from a distance like she was ministering to you talk a little bit about that journey for her yeah when Kristen was going through those heart surgeries and she bounced around between my parents and Kristen's parents just realized that really created a a separation anxiety. And 
Um, when she started school, she would, we would literally drag her out of the house, kicking and screaming and she'd be grabbing on the door frames, not wanting to go. Cause she was just so afraid that something was going to happen and that she'd get left behind. And so we actually got her in to see a counselor and worked through that. Ironically, the counselor's name is Kristen Sturk. Um, <laughs> just strange, uh, totally not related, uh, but that kind of- That is bizarro. I just- <laughs> Very- <laughs> So bizarre. Very, yeah. and bo both tall and blonde. So it was, it was strange, um, but that, that helped quite a bit. But then when uh, we got this cancer diagnosis, um, I said, I need to stay home with Maisie this whole time. We can't force her to bounce around. And so um, I stayed in the hospital as long as I could with Kristen. And then it was about a two and a half hour drive back to the other side of the state. And so I, I literally flew to pick her up from school because I didn't want her to find out from somebody else. Hey, so sorry, your mom has cancer. You know, I wanted to pick her up. Uh, got stuck in a traffic jam and got through that though and picked her up in time and um picked her up from school and she was kind of confused as to why I was there and where's mom. And so I started to explain to her, yeah, um, mom didn't have this ablation done, but they actually discovered she has leukemia. And, you know, how do you explain leukemia to a, a seven-year-old? Um, but on the way to picking her up, I said, I'm going to tell her everything that's going on in a way that she will understand. Um, within reason, I'm not going to go into did the details of really her leukemia is, you know, in the blood and it's a, a malfunction with the 16th chromosome. She's not going to get that. So I, you know, picked her up and explained, yeah, leukemia is cancer in your blood and they're going to give her some really nasty medicine, but it's going to make that cancer go away. And it was kind of about the time we were getting ready to close our pool for the summer. And I hadn't kept up on the chemicals and whatnot. And so our pool had actually turned green. And so I, I said to our daughter, I said, leukemia is kind of like our green pool. It's not just one section of the pool or one spot. It's throughout the whole pool. And the best way to make it clean again is to add these nasty chemicals that, you know, if you pour them on you, they're going to hurt, you know, shock or chlorine, whatever, but that those chemicals will clear up the pool. And uh, so she totally got it and then explained to her, you know, mom might lose her hair by going through chemo, which we later found out the chemo she went through wouldn't cause her hair to fall out. But um, I, I told her, I will pick you up from school every day. I will take you uh, to school every day. I'll be home with you every night. I'll put you to bed every night. Um, I will be there. And you and I can go see mom every weekend. Uh, she was playing rec soccer at that time. So after the games finished Saturday morning, we'd uh, jump in the in the car and drive over to Ann Arbor and we'd stay at a hotel in the hospital. And I said, I will be with you every single day, but we get to see mom every single weekend. And so, yeah, we would show up there and uh, she would climb in the hospital bed with Kristen and brush her hair because she thought at that time we still thought she might lose it. Um, so she would, yeah, brush Kristen's hair and then she would push her around the hospital in a, in a wheelchair. Um, the hospitals were pretty empty on the weekends, so we didn't have to worry about running into other people. Uh, but a seven-year-old pushing a, a wheelchair is, is quite interesting. Um, but then she'd get tired of pushing the wheelchair, so she'd just climb in Kristen's lap on the wheelchair and I'd push him around the hospital. And uh, it was just, just 
a sweet blessing of a time and we'd leave a Sunday afternoon so we could get back home in time for youth group that night. And that was usually probably the worst time of those visits, just watching uh, Maisie realize I'm going to have to leave soon and I'm going to have to say goodbye to mom for another week. Mm -hmm. And they would cry and just kind of hug and hold each other. And I'd carry her out to the car. We'd get in and drive past her hospital room up on the seventh floor. And she'd be, Maisie would be hanging out the window, waving at her, at Kristen. And um, we'd go home and do a, a week together at home and then uh, go back the next weekend. But it was just a an awesome time for the two of us just to connect and create special bonds. We did um, fun events, whether we were going to youth group kids, uh, soccer games, tennis matches or whatever, or swim meets. Um, We'd go out for dinner every single night. We just stayed busy. Um, And so in all honesty, she cried twice, maybe. Mm. Thought about Kristen losing her hair and the thought that it was, at that time we thought it was gonna be five weeks. Mm but Kristen's a fighter and she got to come home after three weeks. So, and, and I told her when the doctors tell me mom can come home, I will pick you up from school and we will go get her. And so we had found out on a Monday night, I think you're going to yeah. come home the next day. So I, yeah, dropped her off at school Tuesday morning. I said, I'll be back in two hours and we'll go get mom. And so, so we did. It was a, it was a fun trip. And I saw, I saw you rang the bell recently. How long ago was that? That was almost a week or a week ago tomorrow. Okay. Yes. And so what's next? Basically, I have to go in every month for blood draws just to kind of see where um, what they're called blasts um, with the leukemia um, to see if those have come back. And then every three months, I'll go in for a more in-depth blood test um, back to at the University of Michigan to see, yeah, if the leukemia has come back. The chance of relapse is greater in the first year, especially um, lessens the second year. But then after the second year, um, the chance of relapse um, is significantly lower. And then after about five years or so, um, if, if they haven't, if it hasn't come back, then you're, um, you're cured yeah. of the leukemia. So. so, so what's next with a heart? Cause that's all been put on, on <laughs> well, hold, right? Yes, it has. Um, thankfully, um, even though Ann Arbor is far away from here, two and a half hour drive, um, all three of my teams, so my advanced heart failure transplant team, and then um, also my arrhythmia team, and then my oncologist, they're all at the University of Michigan. So they're all in cahoots with each other of trying to figure out how to handle Kristen and her crazy medical journey. Um, So basically uh, my arrhythmia doctor um, wants to revisit the idea of an ablation in April um, to kind of give my body a chance to recover from this cancer and my blood counts to recover. Um, but they do want to try to do another ablation. And um, really the tricky part is I am close to a heart transplant, but if I would have one right now, they fear that I would probably need two in my lifetime. And so they're trying to do all the procedures that they can. So, I mean, people, an ablation is a fairly routine procedure, I guess. Mine are a little more complicated, but um, if this ablation would work, they'd be able to fend off this transplant a little bit more. So every year I go through kind of the routine testing of what it would look like if I did qualify for a transplant. Mm. So 
a question. I mean, you've talked a lot about what you've learned. Uh, you've talked more about the story, which I wanted to wanted to hear. But in the midst of that, you know, as you guys look, and I know you've got, you're still in the car, you're still driving forward, you see uncertainties ahead. But as you look in the rearview mirror, you know, lessons learned, um, just about suffering and life and faith and grace. Yeah, I would say I just actually read a quote from Elizabeth Elliott um, in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. And it says, suffering is when you want what you don't have or not having what you want. And I think so oftentimes we go through life thinking that we deserve an easy life, that we're here to just be happy and safe, but we can't focus on our good. We have to focus on our good God. Mm -hmm. And I think so oftentimes we confuse those two, that our good God and our all-powerful, all-knowing God wouldn't allow something like this. And believe me, I went through those same questions in my head when I was diagnosed with leukemia. I thought, how could an all good God allow stage three heart failure and leukemia at the same time, especially when the chemo for heart failure, or excuse me, the chemo for leukemia causes heart failure. So I thought this is just like a hopeless situation. But in realizing that our good God still allows these things and he's still good despite our circumstances in our life and we're not here to live an easy life and in fact in john 16 33 it says that we will have trouble in this world and i think we conveniently want to skip over that verse but that's a truth statement from god and i think we want to poo-poo that idea like, oh, God wouldn't allow that in my life. Um, to be honest, I never thought in a million years I would have cancer too. Um, but I look back and I see how good God has been through our journey. Now, I think that there is a difference between being happy and being joyful. Um, but you can be sad and you can be joyful at the same time. You can be filled with gratitude and cry at the same time. And I think in our generation, in our world right now, we, we have to, people want to separate those two, like, oh, you can't be thankful and sad at the same time. But no, like, that's what God has called us to. I think we often think that, yeah, why, how would a good loving God allow good people to suffer? Uh, but suffering, it doesn't prove that God isn't good. Uh, in fact, yeah. In fact, the greatest suffering ever uh, proves the greatest good of God, uh, Christ's suffering on the cross. Um, it's just its just amazing. Um, we can't fathom the depths of that. You know, it's suffering yeah. doesn't prove that God isn't isn't good. I kind of you know, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I kind of wish I brought a box of Kleenex in here. This is getting to me. <laughs> Uh, love, I'm looking at Chris. Oh, he's got him. Yeah, I was looking at Chris, and I was almost going to ask Chris, "Are you crying?" I, because I, it is. It's it's so moving to hear this and the truths, not only what you've been through, but the realities of what you have experienced. Um, it's yeah, it's great. We need to take a break now. When I come back, uh, what we're going to talk about with the Sturks is, you know, how can we in our families and in our youth ministries prepare our kids 
to have a realistic notion of exactly what they were just talking about there at the end in terms of suffering and the place of suffering in our lives. Because I don't think we've done a good job of that. I think we've Mm -hmm. many times told kids and adults a lie that when you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. And, you know, ultimately we live for eternity, right? We we understand that everything's going to be renewed, the new heavens and the new earth, and we look forward to that. But that doesn't mean, as you folks have said, that everything's going to be easy and Mm -hmm. smooth here. But yet, boy, we've been nurtured into certainly wanting that way too many times expecting that so we're gonna we're gonna broach that when we come back stay with us if you enjoy listening to youth culture matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible Well, Dan and Kristen, I, I want to be sure we point people to some of what you've written as you've processed on this. I know, Kristen, you've blogged since, as you said, 2010. Where can yes. people go to, like, peek over your shoulder and get into your head and into your heart on this journey as you've as you've blogged about it? Because as so many people do, and you've done it so well, you know, you invite us in and we learn as we walk alongside you and pray for you. So where can people find that? So I, I started a blog back in 2010, um, and it's com. And I created that website because I wanted to hear other people's stories. Um, I'm a firm believer that God has given each of us a story to tell. And I thought through maybe the sharing of my own story that people would feel a little more confident, a little more sure about what God was doing in their life. And so the more I started to write, the more I started to get responses from from people about a difficult situation that they were going through. And so the more I find myself open, the more I find others open as well. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned through blogging is that we all have a voice and we're all here on on this earth for a reason. Like God has a unique story written for each of us and it's kingdom worthy. And so being able to share about my heart failure and about my cancer, it has hopefully allowed others to realize, wow, God is working in my life too. And if if that same God can work in Kristen's life through those difficult situations, he can work through mine too. And so really, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned is that through suffering through going through difficult situations, it draws us closer to God. And it seems like such a cliche statement, but really that is the goal of our life here too, is for Jesus to draw us closer to him. And so even though we live in this fallen world, it's still God can redeem those situations. He can redeem cancer. He can redeem heart failure and use it for his glory. So Give us, I what I want to leave people with is just from your perspective, what are some recommendations? You know, you've talked a bit about a perspective on suffering. Can you push us to teach a theology of suffering? I think we really need that. We were talking during the break that, you know, if you start the Bible in Genesis, if you start reading from Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures from start to finish, if you're thinking suffering as you read, it, it's amazing 
just from start to finish, it's there. I mean, why would we not expect it? Nobody likes it. Nobody welcomes it. But it's to be expected, and we're invited into it, you know, to fellowship with the in the sufferings of Christ and how we're refined and we're and we grow. And certainly, you know, what the story you're telling today, what I hear is a story of of difficulty and pain and brokenness, but also tremendous growth in the midst of that as you go through that. And knowing you guys and having this conversation, I mean, it's it's real. Um, so I'd like to hear about that. Just, you know, push us a little bit, push youth workers and parents into understanding that and, and how to best teach that. And then maybe just a little bit of, about how to best walk alongside of people who suffer. Because we're going to have students who get difficult diagnoses or who have to deal with, with difficult situations in life. We're going to have students who are going to have difficult diagnoses of siblings and parents and struggles Um you know, I mean, death and, and, and heartache, I mean, that's part of the curse, right? And uh, mm-hmm. the sufferings of life. And so we can all expect that. So how can we walk with them as well? And, and you know, I know you've learned a lot about just being a parent and walking with a child. And, boy, that was really touching how Dan talked about that. And, again, even Maisie's name, I mean, it's just amazing. But <laughs> so does that give you enough to talk about here as we finish yeah. up? I just I want you to challenge us, help us walk better through these things, those of us who have not gone through it. Yeah. So often, you know, we create this God that serves our, our, our beck and call or a, a God that accepts us without changing us um, or a, a God that will whisk us off to heaven someday without tossing us through the storm. Um, but that's the type of God we create in our imagination. It's not the God we read about in scripture. Uh, I think it was John Piper wrote in a sermon once that I read, Uh, He said, I've never heard anyone say the deepest and rarest and most satisfying joys of my life have come in times of extended ease and earthly comfort. Uh, Nobody ever says, you know, that time of just bliss and pure joy. Oh, I grew so close to God. Uh, That that never happens. Or I I shouldn't say never. Uh, It rarely happens. It's those times when we're brought to our knees that we are drawn closer uh, to God. And so we should expect those tough times and it's, um, it's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen. We should expect those storms in life. Um, but you have the opportunity to choose how you respond in them. Uh, you can focus on your, your environment, what's going on around you, but that's going to change. It's going to, you know, get tossed around by the waves, but you can also focus on your environment, your IN environment, and that's what's inside you. That's Christ in you, your resources, uh, your faith. Uh, you focus on those, and if you don't uh, focus on yourself, mm-hmm. but you focus on glorifying God, uh, there's just so much strength that comes comes out of that. So you can choose how you respond, to choose on the things that change or choose on or to focus on the constant, which is Christ, uh, that really can affect your, your outlook and just uh, the way you represent Christ. Uh, I'm guess- I liked it. Oh, yeah. Can I just respond to him for a minute? Yeah. I'm, get- Dan, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that with your students in your ministry, because they've walked through this with you, right? So they've, yeah. they've seen it, and then they've mm-hmm. heard you say what you just said. Um that's been really helpful to them, hasn't it? I mean, how does that, how has that shaped, shaped them? Yeah, we've, 
we love the song from way, way back. I think it was a Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be the Name. Yeah. Uh, the song goes about, you know, good things happen. Hey, blessed be God's name. Uh, bad things happen. Blessed be God's name. How, how do you sing blessed be God's name in both circumstances? And uh, that's something we've we've really tried to do mm-hmm. and say, uh, yeah, I'll praise to God if Kristen is healed. But, you know, if she's not, then, hey, that's a road we'll walk through. We uh, we have some youth group students who just lost their mom last night. And mm. so we're in the midst of that with them as well, uh, walking through that. Um, how, how do you handle that? It's, t- to be honest, there's no good, easy answer. Uh, those are the kind of times where, you know, what do you say? To be honest, I don't know really that you can dump any deep theological truth on them in that moment that's going to fix everything and make it better. But sometimes just just being there and just even being silent, mm-hmm. uh, just to be there uh, with them, uh, I, I find that is far more effective than, you know, trying to think, okay, what, what's this verse I want to share with them or this deep theological truth? Um, yeah, just, just love on them and, and listen. I would say I experienced that even in the hospital, I was able to have, um, due to COVID, I could not have a, a more than one visitor at a time. Um, but I would have friends just come and sit with me and not have to say anything. Sometimes I would fall asleep. Um, and even through those open heart surgeries too, um, I was able to just be with, it's that be with factor that I think is so key in this day and age, you know, where we've never been more connected to each other, but I also feel like we've never been more distant from each other. And I think through the theology of suffering, like Dan was talking about, you know, don't dump a big theological truth on them, which obviously there's a time and place for that, but really we need a personal God. And I think we've lost touch with that. God is still a personal God, even through suffering. And, you know, you look at Job and I feel like it's such a cliche guy to talk about when we're talking about suffering, but you know, the book of Job starts out with talking about him being blameless and upright. So he had no sin as far as we're aware of, but then all of a sudden God took his wealth, his health and his children and he and his friends told him to blaspheme the name of the Lord. Um, his wife kind of said, curse God. And but really, in the end, Job stood firm and he said some really powerful words of like he knew the, the plans of God could not be thwarted. And I, I truly look to Job as someone I look up to. I look at Noah. I can't say I would be that person building that ark in the middle of a desert. I wish I had the faith of Noah. You look at Stephen, he was stoned and Hannah, she had infertility trouble. And so you just look at all these people of the Bible and they're such Sunday school answers, but they're the, also the answers that we need to hear to realize that these are ordinary people that God chose um, to place on this earth at that given time. And that's where I feel like embracing our own stories, like God has you in a specific area, in a specific school system, um, at a specific church for a very pointed reason. And it's our job and ability and 
responsibility to try to figure out what that looks like. Boy, this is so good. I know we need to bring this to an end. I'm just going to remind everybody that as we talk to Dan and Kristen and we hear this story and it's still, well, well actually during the break, you, Kristen said we could talk about this for hours, right? Um, <laughs> yes. So there's so much more to it. And that's where I want to point you again to uh, her blog. Get, tell us again where that is and we'll include a link. Yep. Uh, KristenSterk.com. Okay. KristenSterk.com. That goes to you, not the counselor. That is correct. Yeah, you stole that <laughs> oh, first. Oh, it's That's I good. N K R I S T I N. Yes. Okay. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll include the link. Chris uh, Wagner here at CPYU. We'll put all the links in the show notes for this particular uh, episode, and uh, you can you can check all those things out. I do want to ask this question. Resource wise, besides the book that you wrote, A Heartbeat of Grace, and I think you're writing another one. Correct? Is that? Did I'm I hear trying that? to. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, here's it's your push. Here's your progress, encouragement. But... Here's your nudge. I know. We know what that's like. Are, are there any other? Uh, and you've mentioned scriptures here, which which is just so helpful. But other than uh, the Bible, we mentioned, you know, Elizabeth Elliot. You mentioned John Piper, Dan. What are there any other? resources that have been really helpful to you that you've been able to lean into either individually or as a couple that would be good i've enjoyed paul david tripp's book um i believe he wrote the book suffering i think i have that correct and that is an excellent book and also his devotional new morning new mercies new morning mercies that's right new morning mercies yes those two books have been um very encouraging to me they can get deep theologically um, but he is so spot on when it comes to the uh, um, the theology of suffering. And so I feel like I've gleaned a lot of knowledge from his experience in life, too. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'll mention another one uh, that we, we've had Diane Langberg on. So Suffering in the Heart of God is a great book. Mm. Diane's a counselor. We've had her on the podcast a couple of times. And so that book, Suffering in the Heart of God. And if we think of anything else, Chris, we'll add that, okay, when we when we get this thing to drop. So. Dan and Kristen, I, I know we got to draw to a close. Um, thank you so much. This is awesome. Um, we're going to continue to track with you. And I did tell them during the break that if we do the Northeast Youth Ministry Summit, it's going on record here. If we do the Northeast Youth Ministry Summit next year, we're going to get you to come and, and help uh, youth workers walk through how to teach a theology of suffering to our kids just through your own story and your own study. I'm going to ask one last question, okay? This is... You know, as you tell your story, I see smiles on your faces, um, and I hear encouragement um, from where I sit, having not gone through what you've gone through. There's in my, every now and then, you know, a little bit of disbelief visits me, and it's not disbelief of your story, but it's the disbelief of, could I ever do this? You know, would God's grace be Mm -hmm. sufficient for me? How do you do this? And I've asked this question before people who have been through really difficult things. You know, if you could rewind and go back to, you know, Kristen, when you're 16 and you have no idea, you know, what's going on in your body and you have no idea of what lies ahead, would you change any of this? I wouldn't, not for a second. I would not change one minute of what God has allowed in my life. Now, I think there's a difference between um, being thankful for the journey and wishing Mm -hmm. to go through it again, but I could not be more grateful for the journey because my faith and who I have seen God to be 
um, will never be the same because of what I've gone through. For sure. Yeah. Don't want to go through each situation again, but yeah, just thankful you come through on the end. Yeah. Uh, just reflecting on, on Heidelberg catechism question answer number one. Oh, I love what that. Is your one, only right? comfort in life and death, but I'm, I'm not my own, um, but belong to, to God. And that's just a huge reminder to body us. Body and soul, body and yeah. soul. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Let's end on a good reform note. Christian Reformed <laughs> Church guy. We love the Heidelberg Catechism here. One of the things we've been trying to do is get youth workers who have never been familiar with catechisms to read them, embrace them, and teach them to their mm-hmm. students. So mm-hmm. uh, yes. thank you for, for mentioning that. That was not prompted, listeners. That was really <laughs> just a good thing. So those truths that we lean into. Well, thank you so much. Um, we love you guys. You. And and um, we're going to continue to pray for you. Um, it's you. been, it's been a privilege, I would say, to, uh, to kind of tap into your story and, and have you here today. So thanks so much for that. So to all thank of you, you thank you. So to all of you who are listening, uh, we hope that you've been ministered to as Chris and I have here, as we've sat here today and listened to this. Uh, and we look forward to, to seeing you chatting with you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.